0: It's fine. I talk a lot as well. so
1: <laughs> That is a kindred spirit moment. Hello and welcome to the EDH Recast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined today by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the titan of death's hunger or possibly just regular hunger. We've got Matt Morgan.
2: So Joey, I, I heard that Apple's developing a new car, but... The problem is they're having trouble installing the windows. Uh, well done, Matt. I
1: quite enjoy that one. Uh, next up, the titan of nature's wrath, or possibly the titan of wrath of God. That's Dana Roach. Uh,
3: with episode 100 approaching, Joey, I just made my appointment to get my EDH rec cast tattoo to commemorate that moment. So very soon, uh, the faces of you and Matt will be forever immortalized in my lower back. Oh! <laughs>
1: that makes me distinctly uncomfortable
3: dana what
1: a wonderful beginning anyway this is the edh rec cast edh rec is a deck building website that collects data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks and here on the cast we like to give all that data a little more context ladies gents and beyond we have the distinct honor and privilege of being joined today on the show by a wonderful guest the one and only Kristen of hipsters of the coast
0: good evening or depending where you're watching good afternoon maybe good night i don't know i'm kind of ripping off my friend's podcast intro there so i'm gonna stop before i get sued
3: i I think we have the full spread right now i think it's evening where you're at it's afternoon for me and i think it's still morning for joey
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean the only thing distinguished about me is the fact that i'm british and we can probably go many places with that joke (laughs) (laughs) but it's a pleasure it's a pleasure
1: it is a pleasure for us too. It's so exciting. Uh, so you are just recently promoted to the content manager of Hipsters of the Coast, which is really, really exciting. Please tell us all about what it is that you do over there at Hipsters.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, it was, um, it was really cool to to get that opportunity. Um, we Hipsters is a great little site, and um, we've got a lot planned for the coming year. Um, if you're not aware of it, HipstersoftheCoast.com is a Magic the Gathering site. We cover a lot of the usual sort of magic content. So we have a lot of strategy, a lot of articles about deck building and that sort of thing. Um, But we also like to think that we're kind of the more niche side of journalism when it comes to magic. We've got a lot of editorial content, we've got a fantastic news content system. Um, We like to cover like, you know, the magic zeitgeist and what's happening right now in magic um, as much as we can. Um, We've got a great little team. David, who heads up the news team, has, like, always got his finger on the button. Um, Brendan, our editor, is fantastic as well. Uh, And we've just got a bunch of great writers. I could be here all night reading them off. And to be honest, if I try, I'm going to miss someone out and just make them feel bad anyway. But you should check them all out. We have all sorts of content. We have Commander, Pioneer, Legacy, um, even a little bit of Canlander at the moment. So, yeah.
1: Nice. That's really awesome. And before we ask a couple more questions about your experiences managing all that content and all of the fun stuff that you do, the content that you make and uh, your experiences with the Commander format too, we just want to remind folks real quick that we are approaching our episode 100, which means we are having a really cool giveaway for episode 100. So all you have to do to be entered to this giveaway is to follow us and leave us a review. You'll get one entry each for following us on Facebook. On twitter and for subscribing on youtube so that is three entries just for clicking the follow or subscribe button on any of those social media channels but you also can get two entries for leaving us a podcast review on your podcatcher of choice such as itunes So you have a chance of getting five entries to the giveaway, and we will be picking three winners on our episode 100. Winners can get in touch with us to tell us two things. First, whether they would like an EDH Rec shirt or an EDH cast playmat. And second, which new commander they will be building. Because we will be putting together a cool jumpstart package, including some of the high synergy and top cards for that commander, according to their EDH Rec page, to help get your deck jump started it's really exciting so pay attention for episode 100 on the giveaway subscribe leave us a review to be entered for it and that actually makes me kind of want to know Kristen. are there any new commanders that you are building at the moment
0: well first of all that's a really cool prize what are you waiting for like get out there and retweet (laughs) and like and review that's a great prize that's awesome um new commanders that i'm building right now um, I, I'm i kind of going down the path that I did not want to tread down which is building a Golos deck um, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's got a lot of opinions about that I'm not building it because it's Golos um, I decided that I wanted to build like a Flicker deck a Blink deck um, mm-hmm. and after looking at most of the available commanders I wasn't really torn like I wasn't really attracted to any of the Bant ones you know like um, Rune or Rubinia or whatever Um and I kind of wanted to, like, use some of the really cool black cards as well. So I was like, well, what's the best commander? Oh, I guess I can just play five colors. That works.
3: <laughs> uh, Kristen, how long have you been writing for Hipsters, and and what do you primarily write about on the site?
0: So um, it's kind of interesting, actually, because just this last week was my one-year anniversary of writing magic content. Um, nice. So that's kind of cool. It's gone by really quickly. Um <laughs> I started out at another site called masterofmagics.com. Um, that was a fun experience, got to meet some cool people um, and who helped me get off the ground. Um, and I joined hipsters back in the summer in sort of end of June, beginning of July. Um, so yeah, it's been a whirlwind, whirlwind year. Um, the main gist of my content is that I love to write about the sort of try and capture that every man of commander to use a gender term but obviously gender neutral but um you know that every person who the regular commander player that sits down at their lgs they have probably have a regular player group but sometimes they play outside of that they like to play kind of focused and optimized decks but nothing crazy good they get bored quite easily by kind of winning too quick um so i try and capture the sort of average Slice down the middle of Commander content um, and go for things that people will be interested in, invested in. Um, and my other main main goal with my series is to get everyone to play scavenger grounds.
3: Hey, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hey. good advice from across the pond. I I don't I don't I don't condone this. I don't.
1: I'm I'm not happy about this. I was not forewarned about this. So we. Uh... So it sounds
2: like oh, no. Kristen. <laughs> It sounds like you like to play good decks because you're, you're playing Scavenger Grounds. Um, right? But another kind of leads into a question we'd like to ask all of our guests. What kind of decks do you play? Uh, who's your favorite commander? I mean, you just built Golos. You're playing Grave Hate, so you're on a good start in my book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Golos is currently on the operating table. Um, the pile yep. of cards I've pulled out is huge. Um, I need to go through it at some point, but I've just been too busy. Um, the decks that I like to play, the main thing for me is that they all have a mechanically different identity. Because I like to keep it fresh between all the decks that I play. I don't like to have too many things that do the same thing, unless that's Boros and hitting people in the face, at which point I do make a slight exception. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like, you know, I've got an Elsha Divining Top combo deck. I've got an Atraxa Super Friends deck. I like a lot of tribal decks. So I've got some vampires and some knights and dragons. Um, I really, really like to play my Chainer reanimator deck at the moment. It's um, yes. It really leans into the haste mechanic and just trying to just slam creatures as soon as possible. Uh, it's super fun. Um, nothing too crazy in there. I think the most egregious card is probably Sepulchral Primordial, but it doesn't get much spicier than that, I guess. <laughs>
1: That's such a spicy card, though. Like, people do not account for the Sepulchre Primordial. It's not just my graveyard that I'm taken from, it's your graveyards, too. See, this is why people shouldn't play scavenger grounds.
0: (laughs) This is why I still play it in my graveyard decks, because sometimes you need to get rid of other people's, because they're better than (sighs) yours.
1: Blasphemy. Oh, I thought we were having a kindred moment here, but I guess... Oh, no, that That hurts. That hurts a lot, but I like what you said there about Boros. Like You do make an exception for versatility among all of the commander decks because Boros is so much fun for you, and in fact, your article series is called, if I recall correctly, it's called Legion's Landing, sort of as a nod to your love of Boros and stuff, and I just I want to convey that that's also my particular love of you know the graveyard too i have many probably five graveyard decks at this point and they also use the graveyards in different ways but like that versatility among my commander decks is sometimes something that i lack a bit but i do know important that it's important for a lot of folks to have versatility among their commander decks for example dana i know that that's a a point that's really strong with you as well
3: yes for sure um and it gets it gets more and more tricky the more decks you make because that's just kind of one thing you've checked off the list and you go to build a new deck and you're like well it's Kind of repeating the theme from this previous deck so it gets challenging once you get up to you know six eight ten decks to not revisit something you've already done before
0: right right i am um, i recently cut down from like i think i had 13 and i'm back down to like nine or ten um and the the current sort of three-part series i'm writing is about conserving design space and i'm really trying to be quite stingy with it so that i don't end up with decks that do too similar a thing because i kind of sat down and i was like right well I really like Alila, I really like Kaikar, and I really like Elsha. If I'm not careful, they're all going to be the same bloody deck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Matt, I feel like that's a journey that you literally just went on. I I
2: did actually, yeah. So I I used to have a Kaikar deck, it was all about tokens, and then I swapped it over because everybody in my shop has a Kaikar deck, so I was like, I don't want to be doing this because we could literally have a fatal four-way wrestling match with just Kaikar decks at any (laughs) given pod. So I switched Kaikar over to Alila, and I'm, I'm I had to make sure I was sticking to a theme, so I made sure it was historic themed, which is I'm really excited for. I just haven't gotten to play it, Uh, but that will happen soon. But yeah, I I get it. Functionally, everything kind of executes the same way. Joey has the same problem, though. He loves graveyard decks, but it's how many different ways can I abuse the graveyard? Because at least we liked the combat step. So finer things for finer people.
1: Well, okay, listen, though. There's only (laughs) one combat step, but there are four graveyards. So, like, there's plenty of versatility there.
2: There's one graveyard. That's why it's (laughs) called the graveyard. No, like,
1: there's my graveyard, and then I might take from your graveyard, and then I might take from all graveyards. Like, there's... That's versatile, right? Well, deflecting palm
2: on Kristen's combat step Versus Dana's combat steps, there's four combat steps. We're getting too deep into this. (laughs) Okay,
1: that's fair, actually. That's that's a good point. I've I've been called out. I feel very soon Let's let's, um,
0: (laughs) disentomb ourselves from the graveyard. Right, right. Ah, Yes. yes. clever. Uh, So, Kristen, you
1: also, as a Boros aficionado, I mean, I have to ask, isn't Boros bad? Isn't Boros, like, really terrible? It's, like, the worst color pair in Commander? Sarcasm, obviously, very heavenly implied. (laughs) Um... Uh, Like... (laughs) No, there there are definitely weaknesses to it. But I kind of want to ask, like, you know, you love Boros so much and there are certainly some, you know, deficiencies compared to some other strategies. There are some uh, limitations on the color pair. And I just am kind of curious um, some of the cool and unique things that you're able to uh, uncover playing Boros so much and some of the things that make you love it as much as you do.
0: Sure, sure. Um, it does get a bad rap, doesn't it? I think that most of the bad rap comes from people that are way too spiky to have an opinion in the first place um <laughs> i'm gonna throw that one out there um because they just care about winning right so they're obviously not gonna play anything but sultai um so for me like boris part of what attracts me to it is i just like some of the flavor like i think it gets a bad rep at least in ravnica for like the sort of stubbornness shall we say of the of the color pie and the flavor um but i, d- I do like the idea of you know standing up for standing up for what's right and protecting people that are that are being bullied and that sort of stuff that's kind of cool and obviously angels and knights are cool as well um but i think above all else to me playing boros at a table where you can actually you know play the game it reminds me a lot of limited in that you have limited resources you only have so many things you can do um you don't have an insane amount of card advantage and you really have to play the game on a lot of different axes to to win. You have to look at the tempo, um, which is huge. You have to look at who to hit first, who to not hit, who to hit more and do a lot of hitting. That's main, mainly a lot of it. Um, but also just, yeah, went to board white, went to not. Um, I've built a lot of recursion into my decks because sometimes blowing up the world is the right option. But yeah, I, I just like the challenge of it. I always feel like I've accomplished something when I win with Boros.
3: Yeah that that makes sense it it's kind of the artisanal guild it's the one when you want to kind of do things the old fashioned way and make it a bit of a challenge you're going to craft that deck by hand versus some of the other com- color combinations sometimes feel like it plays itself a little bit it feels a little machine stamped um boros very much is a, a, a kind of homespun challenge you you have to really work at it to to get it the same results you can get somewhere else much easier Right. I love the way that you
1: phrased that, Dana. Like it's artisanal. Like now I'm just picturing like Hactos and Fire Song and Sunspeaker and Feather like on a cheese board or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> at,
3: at your local farmers market is where you would get your get your stack.
0: Yeah, I've heard Tajik's been brewing a, a new special ale. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's called Legion's uh, Edge. <laughs> wow. Sorry, they don't get any better. Um,
3: <laughs> Uh, so Kristen, from your Legion's Landing article series, are there any particular bits of advice or tips or tricks for Boros players that will be worth passing on here?
0: Yeah, so um, I think the biggest one for me is leaning into Recursion as like one of your main strategies, because you know, people don't think of Boros when they think of a Graveyard deck. Um, but there's a lot you can do with the Graveyard in Boros. Um, obviously, you've got the mainstay, Emiria the Sky Ruin, that you can put in your mana base. Um, but also, just like a lot of the high-end creatures, will bring creatures back with them, um, and you've also got uh, one of my new favorite cards this year: Savine's Reclamation. It's like a mini Sun Titan. Um, you get a couple of opportunities with, like, so. Uh, although, like the kind of the age-old argument of, well, well, how do you sort of reconcile blowing everything up with actually needing a board? Um, you, you just have to lean into the fact that if you can plan ahead you know exactly when to fire off your recursion, you can come out ahead. Um, and I think um, if you have access to the, the wheel effects for card draw, I know a lot of them are expensive, like Memory Jar and Wheel of Fortune. Those ones are like super good when you lean into the strategy. Uh, and you can also hit Magical Christmas Land if you do it on top of a Smothering Tide and basically just win.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a nasty combination. I would really love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so one of
2: the big narratives from last year, and I'm sure you you saw it too, was how, how much green got last year. In 2019, it had Great Henge and all these outrageously powerful cards and effects, and then white, everybody kind of felt was kind of pushed to the wayside, didn't get as much help. But you wrote a really good article that I, I remember we were all sharing in our group chat here with some of the best white cards from last year. So what are some of those that stand out that you, you
0: talked about in your article? Oh, wow. Well, wow. first of all thanks because i was quite proud of that article too um yeah there was a couple of people from wizards actually reached out like oh this is sweet and i was like yes um i was talking to um one of the designers who's is it ari who's now on the council of colors for white yeah yes yeah Yeah. he was he 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 quite enjoyed that so i was like oh there we go um yeah so i mean i've already mentioned sabine's reclamation and smothering tithe, and i guess they're the obvious ones um Apart from that, I've really enjoyed um, Ajani, Strength of the Pride. Um, I know not all decks can lean into lifelink um, as a thing that they can reliably do. Um, but now that we've got Shadow Spear as well, which does grant lifelink, um, there's a couple of equipments that'll let you gain life, and there's some decent value creatures. If you can just get to that 15 life more than your starting life total, like being able to exile all of their creatures and artifacts and keep yours is insane.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've I've been playing that Ajani on Arena lately. I 1000% agree that card is so good. Yeah. Sorry, when you said Ajani,
1: I started thinking of a different Ajani. I forgot about this Ajani from M20. That ultimate's, I mean, I say ultimate ability. It's a zero, but you do need to have 15. Yeah, but you can play it down
0: and just do it, right? (laughs)
1: Like, oh my goodness, that is devastating because
0: it's you don't even have to play him out you can keep him in your hand until you have the life and then you just play it out and people delight are like they won't counter it really really like and they'll be like oh 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 okay <laughs> yeah
1: that is see that is a version of card advantage that goes very undervalued like you know card advantage is not just drawing cards getting rid of everybody else's everything that is definitely a form of card advantage this is a I forgot about this card. You're making me want
2: to build a white deck, Kristen.
0: You definitely should. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey where you will discover yourself.
2: I think that's the highest praise Joey's ever given anyone actually. You yeah, make me want yeah. to build a deck that and it doesn't end in graveyard.
0: I mean, my white deck also r- does a lot of recursion, so I'm sure it'll be yeah. right up his street.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Were there any other cards from 2019 that really stuck out to you too?
0: Um... White cards or cards in general? Both and. Okay. So, um it was nice to see them correct Beast Within with generous gift. Yes. Um That was that card's like so good. Um and Winds of Abandon obviously is a great great addition to many decks. I actually think that over the past year or so, like, the format's kind of sped up a little bit and the power creep's starting to show around the edges, and I think Having another single target removal spell in your deck is probably a good thing. And if you can combine it with a Wrath that might let you just Alpha Strike, like, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I really like that one. And frequently, well, I say frequently, I haven't seen Winds of Abandon play too much, but the four-ish times that I've seen it, uh, I have consistently seen people not have enough basics. Usually if they're in, like, a three-color deck or something, they lost five creatures and only got two basic lands as a result. And they're like, oh, hmm. It's not as much upside like it is still some upside to forgive the fact that they don't have a board anymore, but it's much more devastating to have lost those five creatures and the two lands don't help them catch up nearly as much as they lost. So that's also definitely a sleeper hit.
0: Yeah, like I think um, I do think that unless you're going to take at least one player out, you probably shouldn't fire it off. But yeah, I agree.
1: Well, awesome. Yeah, those are really, really cool ones for sure. And we do have some other questions that we want to ask, but we also want to get to one of our favorite segments here, and that is challenging the stats. There's a lot of data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too little play. So what we like to do is
2: challenge those statistics. Matt, do you mind starting, starting us off this week with your challenge to stats? I sure can. So my card so far is number 32 overall in most used cards out of Theris Beyond Death, but this card has been destroying me on arena lately so i wanted to give it a shout out because it actually fixes a problem for one of the the commanders that i think could use a little help so nightmare shepherd is a card i'm talking about it is two black black for an enchantment creature which is a demon it's a four four with flying but the important part is that it reads whenever another non-token creature you control dies you may exile it and if you do create a token that's a copy of that creature except it's a one one and is also a nightmare in addition to its other types now, Joey, I know you want to keep cards in your graveyard, but what this does is if you're playing a, a deck like Corvold or Yarok, or what I like is Alenda the Dusk Rose, where you want to be abusing either Enter the Battlefield triggers, Death triggers, or with Alenda, the nice part about it is when Alenda dies, it goes to the graveyard. It doesn't go to the Command Zone in order to get that Death trigger. But what, Alenda, what you can do with Nightmare Shepherd is let Alenda go to the graveyard, exile it, get another copy of Alenda, and then go to the go to the command zone afterwards. It is a nifty little interaction. If you're playing cards like Fleshbag Marauder, you get that Enter the Battlefield ability. Sacrifice Fleshbag Marauder to itself. Oh, just exile it, bring it back, and get another token. You get so much value out of this. If you're playing any sort of Enter the Battlefield abilities, death abilities, death triggers, it is such a nightmare to play against. Let's just be real. Um, I think it's much much better than only 261 decks. I think it's not the 32nd best card from Theros beyond death by any means it is such a value engine I would really like to see people playing this in general um, but Alenda, de- the Dusk Rose decks especially will benefit from this because that's one of the biggest downfalls of that commander is because you have to have it die this helps kind of get around that weakness that
0: is some spicy tech
1: yeah for sure I really like that you don't have to keep her in the graveyard you can exile sort of like Gerard the uh the Weatherlight, uh, mm-hmm captain ship captain i can't quite remember the title but he was in commander 2019 he also has a death and then exile trigger so that you can get the death ability and then exile him to put him back into the command zone at that point that is really really cool i've been considering this nightmare shepherd for my sir conrad deck because a creature would die sir conrad would trigger and then a creature would be exiled i'd get another version of that creature sir conrad would trigger again when the creature leaves my graveyard you might be convincing me to push that card into the deck uh because those are some cool interactions that you just talked about and i uh yeah i'm I'm keen on that for sure that's
2: cool it's so good I, I i ordered one i'm contemplating ordering two and putting another one in my cart right now because i want to put it in my taste of carloff deck because i do do a lot of there with their dice
0: yeah. But she loves, nice. yeah
2: she loves tokens so why not just make more tokens
1: oh that's cool and and the other cool thing too is like it is a copy it's a one one version of that card but it is still a copy so it would still have things like their mana cost for example if i were to use it on a gray merchant of asphodel it would still be a creature token that has that things mana cost so that mm-hmm. would count for devotion man i'm okay matt i really like your pick this week this is a good oh. it It is,
2: is really a graveyard cool. pick it's on brand for joey but i, I it's 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 so good nobody needs yeah. to
0: run soul separator anymore <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's true
1: exactly
2: <laughs> All right, Dana, you're up next.
1: What is your challenge?
3: And is it as good as Matt's? Uh, We'll see. My challenge is a card from M20. It's an enchantment for one and a green. And I think the problem for this enchantment is it's worded in a way that makes it too good. And I will tell you what it is. It's Season of Growth. (laughs) And it says, whenever a creature enters battlefield under your control, you scry one. But the most important part of this is whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control, draw a card. I think by by wording it so it works with any spell, people tend to think spell and I think mentally a lot of times assume instant or sorcery, so they go, oh well, I don't cast that many things to target my own stuff, it's not that useful. That counts auras, I think if this was actually phrased, so it said whenever you cast an aura, the target's a creature you control, you draw a card, it would be in way more Enchantress decks, it's only in about 1,200 decks on EDH rec right now, versus Enchantress's presence which is in like 5,000 or we Enchantress in like 4,000, Mace Enchantress in 7,000. Um, it's, you know, three-quarters of an Enchantress. You're, you're going to be casting majority aura spells in most of those decks most of the time, or in an a enchantment-based Voltron deck. It winds up being almost one more Enchantress's presence, one more way to draw a bunch of cards off of what you're already doing anyway. And I think people miss out on how effective it is in those decks because of the fact that it's actually better than it would be if it just said auras because it's also going to draw you a card off Soul's Majesty or Berserk or something. Um, So because it's good, maybe better than it would be if it said Auras, I think people kind of mentally miss the fact that it's basically, like I said, three quarters of an Enchantress in that deck.
1: That's a really cool pick. And the aura restriction isn't even that much of a restriction for some of the different Enchantress commanders out there. Right. For example, Siona, Captain of Pileus, she's actually the most built commander on EDH Rec from "There Is Beyond Death at the current moment with nearly 200 decks. I think she's like just shy of at 199 decks to her name right now. Um, Season of Growth is only showing up in 62% of those, but that's just. With her particular brand of enchantments, which are all going to be auras that target the creature, Season of Growth is totally serving duty as a regular enchantress effect in there. So yeah, totally a great pick for that. I I really enjoy that too. We got good picks this week. This is cool.
0: I think in a lot of ways as well, it's one of those enchantments that hits the table quite early. And it's not quite offensive enough to get rid of because it's just kind of not quite on the level of some of the other card advantage that will come down on turn three and four.
3: Yeah, it's either it's either going to get removed, which is kind of a win. Like if someone wants to roll a world removal spell on that, then I guarantee you have something probably worse in your hand. And if they right. don't remove it, then it's going to sit there and generate value anyway. So it's kind of in that perfect sweet spot.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really like it.
1: That's cool. That's a really cool one. All right. We are going to move on to my challenge now. And this one, you know what? I actually had a different one planned, but Kristen, since you talked about Scavenger Grounds, I figure that I'll talk about this one sort of as a, as a nod to your love of this card that wrecks my day in every possible way, because there's a really important wording about Scavenger Grounds that sometimes, um, sometimes I forget. I won't even say that other folks forget. I forget about this. Scavenger Grounds, of course, you can pay two, sacrifice a desert, and then exile all cards from all graveyards, which is devastating to people like me who play Marin and Mamie Plasm and Sir Conrad, and it's very, very, very (laughs) sad. Um...
0: So Conrad doesn't care though, right?
1: (laughs) I mean, I I do usually want to keep those creatures in my graveyard. Yeah, but
0: you can kill everyone by exiling them too. I can.
1: Uh, The Bog for lethal on my own graveyard is a thing that I have done. Yeah. So Scavenger Grounds doesn't just say sacrifice itself to exile a graveyards, like most of the utility lands that we're probably familiar with. Scavenger Grounds says sacrifice a desert. And so my pick this week is actually going to be a challenge. If you are playing Scavenger Grounds, consider also including another desert like for example desert of the indomitable or desert of the fervent because those are lands that can cycle themselves if you don't need them they enter tapped they tap for just one color of mana which is usually a big ask but they are also deserts and so a friend of mine was able to get me because I saw his scavenger grounds and I was so terrified of it the entire game because my precious, precious graveyard. And I finally pulled a move that I thought would be really cool and Trixie to force him to exile the graveyard and then be able to refill it later. And I didn't realize that he had not just the scavenger grounds in play, but also a desert of the indomitable in play. So what he had actually done is sacrifice the desert of the indomitable. And it was like, oh no, the scavenger grounds is still there. This will be terrible. I'm just completely shut out of this game. Yes. Just because he had one other desert in his deck. So the specific uh, statistics on this particular one, Scavenger Grounds is seeing play in a ton of decks and people should play it even though it's heart-wrenching for me to 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 say that. I know, it's terrible. Uh, but it's only paired with cards like Desert of the Indomitable about 16% of the time in eligible decks, and that just seems a little bit low. If you want to have some extra added utility to your utility lands, this is a really cool trick that you can do to not just keep the graveyards in check once, but twice at very little cost, especially if you're in monocolored decks that would like to play these deserts anyway. It's devastating for people like me if you decide to try it. So... Kristen, since you like Scavenger Ground so much, this might be another thing that you can tell people to run as well. Oh, Just hell, one other desert yeah. can make a difference.
0: Like um, and there's there's you, there's you like should...
3: 19 other deserts too that you can, you know, pick and choose which ones work best on your particular deck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean yeah. I, I would always advocate for taking the cycling ones over like the first cycling card in your mana base at that point. Um but yeah, as was mentioned, you've got stuff like Endless Suns, which is really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of a uh, really annoying utility deserts, and uh just—it's really sad. I don't like giving people the ammunition that it takes to get me completely out of the game, but I—I I am a slave to the statistics. I'm a slave to the data, and I'm a slave to good gameplay. And maybe your article series is just so compelling, and your 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 message is working, Kristen. It's you're you're having a good effect on the world. Anyway, that's enough about my pick, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share with us a challenge the stats at this time?
0: Yeah, sure. Why not? Um. I guess the one for me lately that it kind of got on my radar a little bit because I was building my Neheb the Eternal deck recently and I was like, right, I need some ways to give haste. Um, and I was like, ooh, oh, isn't there a great way to give haste in Throne of Eldraine? Crashing Drawbridge. Um, <laughs> it's two mana. It's a zero-four 4 wall. It's an artifact. Um, you can tap it to give all creatures haste. Um, and the reason I picked it out for Neheb was that I can tap it for the ability and then weld it away with a goblin welder or an engineer and get something else out of the bin, which is fantastic. But over and above that, it comes down early on the curve. You can play it when you're just setting up and it gives you a whole team haste, which is just fantastic. And a lot of colours that don't have access to that naturally can get it in a colourless form. And the reason it came onto my radar was because Despite the fact that me and my flatmate both opened a box of Throne of Eldraine, we could only muster one copy between us, which is silly. Like, I was actually mad. I was like, why is there not more copies?
1: (laughs) That's a really cool one. I love putting a pair of boots onto a drawbridge to give the entire team (laughs) haste. The flavor on that seems a little strange, but that is a really cool way with just one simple creature to give an entire army that you just generated the ability to attack out of nowhere and completely surprise people. This is one that I'm also heavily considering for my Titania deck because... The ability to make a bunch of elementals and then give them haste is really important in that deck that's why i already run stuff like concordant crossroads having another ability to access haste could be really make or break for a deck like that yeah it's the same
0: it's the same for siona captain of the pileus you definitely need it in that deck if you're running that combo and it's only running like just over 1300 decks right now which is like nothing
1: wow yeah awesome i love that these are good challenges i'm proud of us these are cool (laughs)
2: Well, Kristen, so you, you mentioned your pick of the or challenge of stats uh is, is from Throne of Eldraine. What about Theros? Have you had a chance to get any Theros cards yet from Theros Beyond Death? What has stick stuck out to you as something that seems extra powerful? Uh what just let's tell us about it.
0: Okay, so um At risk of causing an aneurysm, I'm going to talk about another graveyard hate card. Or maybe two. Let's do two. Let's do two. (laughs) Let's do Um, two.
1: I was hoping that we were done with it. I was hoping that I would sort of inoculate the conversation from graveyard (laughs) hate if I mentioned one. Oh, man. Nope. All right. Proceed, I guess.
0: Okay. So (laughs) the first one is Soul Guide Lantern. Um, I actually like this one a lot um, in decks that want to use their own graveyard. Um, It's one mana. Um, and when it comes into play it exiles a target card from a graveyard so it already does something when you cast it Um, and then you can either uh, I think is it pay one and tap it to draw a card and sacrifice it or you can just tap and sack it to exile all cards from each opponent's graveyard so you get to keep yours which is actually really good (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's real good. Um,
0: to me, like that kind of beats out Relic of Progenitus in a lot of decks now. And I think the fact that it's so much cheaper means that it will for a lot of people too.
3: Yeah, I, I think when I first saw this, my my thought initially was it's maybe not better than Relic necessarily, but like in some decks it would be. And the more and more I looked at what decks I wanted to run it in where I had Relic, the more I kind of realized... I just wanted this over relic pretty much anywhere i wanted this effect
0: yeah it's just incredibly efficient
1: yeah and that's one of the reasons that folks are playing the uh the ashiok i think dream render because it can actually mill yourself prevent other people from searching the libraries and also exile everyone Mm -hmm. else's graveyard but not your own and those are really really nasty one-sided effects
0: i thought they were just Uh. running it because they hated fun
1: yeah. <laughs> oh well, that too. See, Exile and Graveyard is not fun. And we should move away. But I you actually <laughs> mentioned that you uh you had one more graveyard hate card that you wanted to talk about.
0: too I do. But then I'll 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 you know I'll I'll end it on note after that, and we'll we'll talk about some cards that are good with Graveyards. Um. So um, the other one that interests me a lot is Ereboss's Intervention. Um, I think for a lot of players, the main reason they don't run enough graveyard hate is because they can't justify it. They can't find the card slots. Whoa. And it's something that I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> But it's a fair argument in the sense that a lot of people have it, so a lot of people must feel the same. Um, One of the reasons I recommend Scavenger Ground so much is because that flies in the face of that. Um, But on top of that, now we've got Ereboss's Intervention, which can be a removal spell, and it can hit graveyards. It's great. It does both. And it's a great way to get around Indestructible as well, because it's a minus minus X minus X spell which there is a a lot of running around at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those, are, those modal spells especially can really be nice to make room for cards. That way, it doesn't feel like you have to detract too far from your own personal strategy to make sure that you have good interaction with other people's. So modal spells can be a great way to make sure that you justify including those cards. Um, and even just playing one, even though like playing this card that doesn't feel like it progresses my own strategy and it just gets you know slows down some other people's, even just playing one of those can make you realize how powerful and devastating they actually are to other folks, which allows you to progress your own strategy. So some of those modal effects are even more powerful just to sort of open that door in the first place
0: yeah if you can put tempo and proactiveness on one card you're onto a winner
1: awesome okay but you said on a high note is this next one not a grave hate card fingers crossed
0: yeah it's um actually it's an enabler um i mentioned to you that i've got a chainer deck and the most obvious card for chainer from theros is Gravebreaker lamia um (laughs) this one's great it's entomb on a body and it makes spells that you cast from the bin cheaper um so good so good um i just love the idea of getting back a direfleet fleet daredevil for one red mana <laughs> and just casting something from someone else's graveyard like what, what more could you want it's great um yeah that one and minions return as well i think is really cool the sort of flash flash enchantment two in a black um you enchant a creature and when it dies this turn i think it is it when it dies this turn yeah you get to return it to the battlefield and do your control
3: yeah, that's really being able to do that as a combat trick is so so useful too.
0: Right. So yeah, like as much as I'm a Boros mage, there's a lot of good black cards in Theros Beyond Death. Yeah.
1: Awesome. See, yes, yes, this is this is the correct way, Kristen. Love it. Uh, there, there's another super interesting article of yours that we wanted to talk about too, which was titled. Um, building a casual commander deck can be a challenge. And this was a really interesting concept. Do you mind walking us through the ideas that you meant by that idea that building a casual deck can be more challenging than building a tuned one?
0: Yeah, sure. So I think the main factor that is at play here is that the longer you've been playing Magic, the harder it is to build a casual deck. Not only because you have access to so many good cards and so many good synergies. But also because with that experience comes the ability to really squeeze out the, the last drips of value out of a slightly less optimized deck. Because whether you've played a lot of limited or if you've just played a lot of commander, you can do a lot with very few resources. And so just just one like slightly on the borderline powerful card in a casual deck can be really used to great effect by someone who is good at the game um and that that's that's to me that's like the main headline um but then the other headline I guess is just the decision paralysis because once you go under that first tier of like the best cards it's like the 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 tiers below that are like so wide and you have so many options and unless you have a really strict theme, like I'm doing like homerid tribal, um, you you don't have like, you don't really have anything to like rein you in. There's just so many options and you can just sit there for days, like just in paralysis, like not knowing what to do.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I have that paralysis looking for, you know, trying to tune things as much as possible. So the, the instinct I think in those moments is that I want to try and, uh, remove some of the like super optimization to try and relax that experience so like i don't have to find every single thing of value so maybe i can just play some of the more fun or pet cards or something like that but that can also make things potentially more challenging because like you mentioned it is such a wide swath of cards within that category too so that actually it does make sense that it can sometimes be more challenging to spin backwards a little bit
0: yeah because i mean the example i used in the article was board wipes um Yes, there are optimal board wipes, but really the amount of board wipes that we have access to in EDH that are efficient is is very very high because whether it's 4, 5 or 6 mana, there's like dozens upon dozens of options and once you chip away from that top tier, like there's not that much to distinguish them.
3: Yeah, the the decision paralysis thing I think is absolutely a really really good point to make about um building those those down decks because the really great cards kind of eliminate so much stuff which is you know kind of what you're saying if you're building a white deck and you just have sort of shares and just have path to exile lying around well you're going to put those in your deck and not even really think about like the stuff levels below that but once you get to those levels making that decision and figuring out what you want to run there gets way more complicated and that's that is absolutely a really challenging thing i think i've that i've experienced for sure when i've tried to like power down decks absolutely
0: yeah and as you say Building white is just a challenge, right? Right. right. That's <laughs> in general, right? Yeah. So, like, even if you're building a casual white deck, I would still say you should run the swords in the path because sure, you know, right? Like,
3: yeah. Your your power, um, your power is capped anyway. Yeah. Right. So
1: <laughs> Artisanal cheese, cheese board exactly, exactly. coming back exactly. to mind.
0: <sighs> so yeah, it's um, it's it's a challenging process. I think the other the other factor can be that sometimes in your play group you, you want to tone down your decks a little um but then you, say you do it so that you can play better with a couple of friends and then there's different people in the shop and your deck's not suddenly not very good anymore it's like what what do you do then I mean not everyone has access to like a six or eight decks they can just bring with them at a range of power levels like how do you how do you approach that situation um so one of the things I like to do is just have like a not a sideboard per se but like a selection of cards that can go in or out to sort of instantly change a power level. Um because there's a couple of axes that can do that, like removal, recursion, um, and just like top end value creatures, you can really sort of adjust a power level quite quickly by looking at those types of cards. Very nice.
3: I like that. Yeah, I mean like just pulling out a cyclonic rift can make a huge difference in in both how the deck plays and how it feels to the other person and they don't have to see that or worry about it in your deck
0: yeah Um, yeah I mean let's just for for example, with the rule zero discussion, what is one of the things that gets brought up it's like, oh I'm I'm playing Aurelia but there's no Helm of the Host in there and it's like, oh I'm playing Lodrotha, sure. but there's there's no this in there. I'm like I'm playing Aloro, but there's no decree of silence and solemnity <laughs> combo. Like you, you, you have that discussion about the power level at the beginning and you often cite these cards that do have that big of an impact that just taking them out can just change the deck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never just removing one card. It's removing one card and then also like the strings attached to so many of the other mm-hmm. cards. It has big ramifications. There are ripple effects of the entire deck just attached to one card. So that totally makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had that conversation about my Moldrotha deck too, where I, I pull it out and put the put Moldrotha down, and I I get some side eyes, rightfully so, but then I tell them, Don't worry, this is a theme deck, it's plus one plus one counters, like it's not that Moldrotha deck. And then I have to make sure that my first few cards show people, oh my gosh, you're playing Implement of Ferocity. That's, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so people know I'm not trying to, you know, spike the table. It's, okay, strict theme here. We're good. Yeah. Well,
3: I I found that when you pull out a few of those super bomby staples sometimes, that's a good way to put in like a pet card in your deck since those tend to be a little bit less powerful as well. Do you have any personal pet cards, anybody, that they would like to throw out there and share that they put in their decks? Mm, one that I always try and force myself to play is Mazarek. I've
1: always tried to build a Mazarek deck and it just never quite gets there because the secret of Mazarek is that he's not really a sacrifice thing. He's the one that puts counters on all of yeah. his stuff whenever mm. a permanent is sacrificed. But he's not really a sacrifice deck. He's more of a token deck or if you're using persist stuff like Woodfall Primus, he's a combo deck.
2: Oh, wow. And neither of
1: those things are as interesting to me as like, I just want to sacrifice my stuff, guys. So... That's a pet card that I can never quite justify, but that I always try to for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I guess for me, there's like two main ones that stand out. Um, first one is, I don't know if it's a pet card, but it doesn't see enough play and I seem to be the only one that tends to play it. Um, Volcanic Offering. Ah. Um, that card has mm-hmm. so much value attached to it. Like if someone's the arch enemy you can convince the table to hose that person by removing four of their permanents. If someone isn't the arch enemy and you're a little bit behind, you can convince another person that's behind to bring the other two players down a peg. It just has so much utility. So much utility. I love it. Volcanic offering
1: five mana instant destroys a non basic land you don't control and a non basic land of an opponent's control, uh, of, excuse me, of an opponent's choice that you also don't control. And it can deal seven damage to a creature you don't control and seven damage to a creature of an opponent's choice that you also don't control. There's no blowback risk on this one. That is such a cool political tool. I've been using that in my group hug deck as well. I really like that pick. That is a really fun
0: inclusion. It's fantastic, honestly. Um, and the other one, which I guess does fall under the pet car category a little more, um, is that. I definitely made sure to leave room in my Edgar Markov deck to run New Blood. Um, New Blood is two Mm -hmm. and two black. And as an additional cost, you have to tap an untapped vampire you control. Uh, But you gain control of target creature. um, And you can replace all instances of one creature type in its text box with the word Vampire. Which is hilarious when someone plays Atla Polani because then you can just cascade vampires out of your deck because you can change egg to vampire. (gasps) Oh, really? Yeah, because you don't have to change the creature type in the text in the type line. You can change it in the text instead.
1: Change the text of that creature by replacing. Whoa, that's that's <laughs> really ridiculous. And actually now that I'm I'm recalling, uh, because I've seen New Blood used on a the first sliver, which gives all slivers cascade. Yeah, yeah. And it was changed to vampire. So good. <laughs> Give all the vampires cascade, which also would trigger Edgar Markov. Yeah, that's a really fun one. If you've got a vampire in the command zone doing like even if it's an in incidental vampire or something like that, that can yeah be really like inclusion too. and
0: the thing is as well it's like it's definitely one of those cards that if you are trying to optimize an edgar markov build would probably fall by the wayside because it doesn't fit in with the main strategy of just beat people as soon as you're possibly able um and it's also four mana it's a little bit more costly it requires you to have a creature in play but that is what a pet card is it's for those slightly more casual games i say with an edgar markov deck <laughs> it's more of a mid-range build honestly
3: Um, I had one the other day and I I think this was a card I mentioned one of our very first shows as a pet card of mine which is Overwhelming Intellect and it's a six mana counter spell that only hits creature spells but you draw cards equal to the CMC of the spell you hit and especially in like a 75%-ish meta where you are going to see people using things like Elish Norn or Sun Titan or Avengers Endicar for kind of win conditions. And you can also usually see that coming. You can see when the person gets to that turn seven or eight and they're going to make a move and drop something huge. Holding six mana isn't a lot of fun, but, you know, worst case, you hit a four drop or a, you know, five drop or something that almost always pays for itself. But the other night I could see the, the person playing the Kozalik deck was going to cast Goslik next turn, so I just held the six mana and drew ten cards off countering their commander. Um it's Oof. feels amazing when you do that. And it's it's not a card I would definitely run in every blue deck at every power level, but you know, as a pet card in the right situation, it's effective and always hilarious to everybody else. Who oh, yeah. Didn't cast the ten drop as well, <laughs> which is which is always a great thing about a pet card when other people can you know be delighted to buy it as well
0: yeah yeah at risk of endorsing a card which i think is just way too obnoxiously good that sounds like it would fit great into an euro deck (laughs) (laughs) because you're gonna have that much mana way quicker than everyone else (laughs) yeah
2: so final final question for you Kristen. you wrote an article about how players should try building decks without using resources on the internet without deck building sites and all that why do you Why do you hate us? Why do you hate EDH rec? Oh, well, I'm I'm kidding. Of course. I I, I don't. I know you don't mean that you hate. I mean, I need need to come
0: clean here. I mean, you have a writer (laughs) on the staff that writes about Jess guy, which is like the worst color combination. Um, Angelo,
1: you've been called out (laughs) for bad.
2: It's it's cool because we we rightfully give Angelo routine, (laughs) routine guff on this podcast. So you're fitting right in.
0: Right. Uh, I thought I had to, you know, try and blend in. (laughs) um so no I kid I kid Angela's great um so I I both love and hate EDH Rec. it's forbidden knowledge it's the apple from the tree it's everything that is like oh it's just temptation isn't it right because like for me like one of the the main draws to Commander is the self-expression the creativity and the journey that you go through with the deck building and I know I'm not in like the absolute majority with that but I think of the wider group of players that play commander I'm probably in one of the majorities um and I think that having that sort of magic to discover and do the you know be the cartographer and map things out and figure them out for yourself is like a really rewarding and fun part of deck building um and I think as I mentioned like in that article like it helps you improve as a player if you can pull things out yourself and it, it helps you know your collection a bit better and it helps you find those pet cards. And then, you know, once you've got that pile of cards, you can then go to EDH rec or any other site like this um, and see what you're missing. And then, you know, if it's got the same cards that you've pulled out, you get a lot of indication that you you know what you're doing.
2: Yeah. I, I use the, the website the same way. Like you, you just said, I build my deck and then I kind of use the site to what, what did I forget? What is absolutely necessary? oh, yeah, I should probably put in some, you know, this mana rock that I forgot about. I, I can appreciate that a great deal. Mm.
1: Yeah. Oops, did I forget about Sol Ring? That kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh Yeah. Sorry, you just reminded me of a funny story. I used to play the Pokemon trading card game, um, sort of, you know, semi- semi-professionally. I was pretty good. Um. But I was playtesting a deck at one point, and I had four copies of a card in my deck, and I had four copies of a card, which searched out one of those cards. And I was testing it on the online client. And I was just like, God, I have got such bad luck. Every time I play this card, I've prized the cards in my prizes. This is so such bad variance. And I must have played like 10 test games before I realized that I didn't put them in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Having a,
1: a, a nice reminder to make sure that can definitely be helpful. And that is absolutely one of the ways that we advocate using ADH track too, is like doing that work because, because you're right that there is a different sensation about understanding the value of cards and the importance and the nuances of their synergy sort of, a good analogy, I think, might be like a sideboard guide, for example. If folks are looking at 60 card cards right. and they're looking for a sideboard guide, they might not know precisely why the person who made that sideboard chose those specific cards and for which specific matchups they will be using those cards to put in from the sideboard in, you know, games two and three. And that's you know, a pretty important thing. If you've discovered on your own why to put those cards into the sideboard, there's a really important distinction between that versus just I copy this person's sideboard. And there's a you know a risk of that potentially happening with EDH rec. If you look at the data prescriptively, like oh I should be playing these cards with this commander, but it really is the way that we use it, just the way that you mentioned, that we want to make sure that we are here to provide ourselves with reminders. But yeah. doing that work on your own is a really important part of the process that's, to know that. what it is that you're after.
0: And that's why you have challenges the stats because you know like not everything's listed on that page but i think another thing that's super useful as well is that if you're setting out to build a particular style of deck obviously you've got those great filters on there so you can go oh well if i'm building a leela as an enchantress build let's have a look but then you also have the option to go in there and go well what's the artifact build build running is there anything that i might be able to put in my enchantress build that might not be on this page and i think that's a really important part of the the filter system that you've got that i really like i think i want to sort of highlight there because you can look at different builds of a commander that might be different to yours or just slightly adjacent commanders that do a similar thing and kind of go, well, actually that one card might come across quite nicely.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a really good experience. That's a really cool uh, challenge as well that you put forward in that article. So we do totally appreciate that. There's a lot of different ways to to brew decks and using EDHREC and all of those different ways and the different filters and stuff and then sort of depriving yourself from the data so that you can test those cards on your own and find their nuances and synergies is also a really important thing to do too. So there are so many aspects to uh, deck building that is really fun to reveal those cool awesome things uh but please don't play graveyard hate against me that's something that we should just the data all go to zero on and that people shouldn't play none of that
0: none of that there's been far too much of it on this episode i think i need to save up to fly over at this point just to make a point
1: (laughs) (laughs) i look forward to it i would love uh to meet up we would all love to meet up with you at uh, an upcoming magic fest or hopefully at a command fest as well it would be a real treat Kristen, this has been really really wonderful we can't thank you enough for coming onto the show um, this is really great. And please uh, remind folks, where can they find you and your content as well?
0: Yeah, no worries. It's, it's been a great, great experience. Really good to chat to you guys and get to know you guys a little bit better. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Travis sent me a picture once of playing an LGS against some EDH rec mats with his hipsters playmats. So I think that rival's already there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my content um, you can find on hipstersofthecoast.com um if you just look for my author page uh, i'm kristen um got a lot of other great writers there that you should check out depending on what you like um and you can find me on twitter um if you look for at the kristen emily um yeah um i'm quite happy to talk edh if you want i post some pretty good memes i have to say um so that's if you like memes you might just like my twitter page <laughs> too
1: Awesome. And how about the rest of us? Thank you guys so much for joining me. If our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt?
2: You can find me on the Twitters and also the Twitch at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 55.
3: And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central
2: and
1: i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz on twitter you can find the cast at edh reccast on facebook and twitter and if you have a question a keen insight to Recs data or maybe a challenge the stats pick that you think that we should know about you can contact us at edh at gmail.com don't forget to follow the cast on facebook twitter subscribe on youtube and leave us a review to be entered into our episode 100 giveaway and we will be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh rec your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs> See I I like these magic reference jokes. This makes me happy.
0: We can opt out of them at any time.
1: No, I I really enjoy it because what Matt and Dana tend to do is make
3: references to shows that are older than me and I'm like <laughs> ah. so so anything that was on the air around 2010. Hey.
2: <laughs> See, that wasn't even me making the
3: old jokes this time and like and it wasn't even a crazy joke. He was like 14 then. <laughs> In
0: 2010 you were 14. No, I'm
3: currently 27. (laughs) I'm not okay, so you are 17
0: (laughs) and a half. I mean, to be fair, like, I was like, what in 2010? I was like, I want to say 19 or 20. Yeah, something like that.
1: Well, I mean, Dana was 70 in 2010. Joey
2: may have been 14, but Dana was first getting his AARP card, so
0: (laughs) I'll (laughs) I'll laugh and pretend to know what you mean. That was when I first got plantar
3: fasciitis.